Welcome to a special edition of Horrifying My Friends. Joining you today is horror host Travis and producer Kate. Hello. And uh, joining us today over Zoom is Donnie Yabara, my brother. Hello. I think the last time you were on was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I always want to say Friday the 13th. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, right? Correct, yes. So today, before we get into the movie, uh, we're going to be covering Cannibal Holocaust. Before we get there, though, I want to properly horrify you. And kind of detail some of our upbringing and um, some of the, like, your first interactions with the genre. Like, I know one of the things that we've always talked about was, um, like, how our dad brought us up and, like, with monster movies. And that's not, that's not the case in a lot of households, like, you know, coming up. Like, ours was kind of special in that way. To me, at least, like, dad was always introducing us with some kind of monster. And it seems like the Mexican culture and way about doing things is, like... I don't know. I once heard like Guillermo del Toro talk about it, how Mexicans have this idea of the monster of being close to the monster and maybe feeling like outsiders. And that's how dad probably felt, you know, growing up and stuff. But yeah, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I I think piggybacking off of what you were saying about um, kind of what Guillermo del Toro said, I think that, uh, you know, I remember being a kid and I, and to put perspective on this, I was an only child for 10 years. So um, before our Captain Creature here came along. I was uh, Creature Solo, and uh, I was in the back seat of my parents' car at the drive-in when they were watching, you know, horror movies. And at the time, this was the you know early '80s or mid '80s. They're watching, you know, slasher movies and so forth, and you know, these violent action movies with Chuck Norris. And so I'm like taking it all in, and I'm kind of peeking through my my covers, you know, watching it and. I think our parents being who they were, they were pretty lenient on us. And I know when you were born, um, I was already sort of engaged with watching like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and all these movies. And I think that you were sort of introduced into that already, like that concept of having horror around you all the time. Uh, but I, I do remember both, I think my, our, our mom's side of the family and our father's side of the family were, were really into, um, into a lot of, uh, uh, these ghost stories and this ghost, this ghost storytelling and this sort of um, way of talking about ghost stories in our family. And I think specifically with um, our dad's side of the family, who is uh, Mexican-American, I, I was doing a class project and in, for college and I interviewed my dad, our dad, about um, sort of the rituals and practices that our grandmother did. And she was sort of part of like a Mexican folk uh, Catholic sort of practice that she would, um, sort of the things that she would do would be very uh, different than regular Catholics. These sort of rituals that she would do or these sort of things that she would do that were a little outside the norm. And so I think us getting to hear those sorts of stories with Lechuza and La Llorona and all of these things, uh, it was sort of ingrained into us um, as a kid. And then I think growing older, we sort of embrace that. And I think just with you doing this and uh, with us continuing to be engaged with horror and expand our horror horizons, I think it's always been an interesting um, sort of upbringing for us to both be into horror and, and to have a family that's really into horror heavily. Because our, our parents and our families huge into horror. I mean, every time I talk to dad or, or Sharon or mom, they're always asking me what horror movies we watched or any sort of uh, uh, things for Halloween that we want to do. So for sure. Uh, yeah. And you mentioned like grandma, she really was like a lot of, and I don't know like what the correct term, like you said, like a folksy kind of uh, like a folk Catholic. And it, it really was like a mix between like, um, like witch doctor, like kind of stuff and cat Catholicism. Cause like there, she used to like rub a raw egg on our back and stuff. Like uh, what was the <laughs> point of that? Like a, uh, 
Yeah, so she, they were taking away the Oho, so it was the evil eye, essentially, they were taken away of. And so when my parents first went to Texas together and my mom met my grandmother for the first time, part of my grandmother's sort of ritual and bringing me into the family and bringing my mom into the family was she made this uh, sort of batter that you would, you know, it looked like fried chicken batter essentially. And my mom tells a story about it, look, me looking like fried chicken, basically getting ready to go into the fryer. But she had bathed me in this batter and she had done this prayer and her and my uncle and my dad, they, they, they said this, this prayer. And I, it's a little, I think, of a mix of Catholicism and sort of a mix of a different sort of tradition that they hold with a lot of the Native American heritage, especially my grandma held on to. So I think there's sort of that mix of things there. Um, it, wasn't not, it wasn't a very traditional um, Catholic uh, homecoming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, and then even um, like with Ovi, our grandma on the other side, like hers was kind of like the these witchy practices of like the hill people. Like I'm reading that new series uh, <laughs> by Eric Powell, uh, Hillbilly, and he's like a traveling, like, you know, he fights monsters and shit. But it reminded me of that. Like, mom always tells a story when we were born, grandma kind of had to be, like, escorted out of the hospital because she would, like, try to go back there while we were, like, in our incubator, you know, whatever they put babies in and put, like, coins over our belly buttons or some shit. Like, there was something, <laughs> you know, to do with that. She was trying to put coins on us, like, while we were little babies. But yeah, they would do very superstitious things. That, yeah. Like Scissors on our back. Dad would make, like, before I would go out, like, when I was in high school and before I would go out, like, because he knew I was a wild child and I'd be getting into trouble, he would put a uh, coin in a bandana that he had blessed, mm -hmm. in quotations, he blessed, and um, he was like, put this in your pocket to keep you safe. And, you know, there's a lot of superstitions I think we grew up with, too. Um, oh, yeah. With you, you see a lot of when we would be in the car and mom would be driving and there would be like a, a cat or something or a bird would fly oh, across dude. the windshield. She would do the cross in the window or like a to lot this of day. stuff. You think is yeah. kind of normal for everyone else maybe? Didn't you see like three black cats cross you recently? Uh, yeah. So Rose and I <laughs> went to see, it was like one of the last movies we saw, man. I don't even, I think it was a turning. I think it was a turning. And on our way back, it's like, first of all, that was frightful enough. And then on our way back, we see a black cat cross and then another black cat cross the other way, like on the same road. And I was like, Rose, turn around. <laughs> she was like, are you fucking around? I was like, no, I'm not. Like, not two black cats, dude. Like one black cat, like, all right. But like two in a row, I'm like, okay, the universe is trying to tell us something. We need to fucking turn around <laughs> go the other way. Like we can find an alternate route. It is really weird growing up with all that stuff. And Rose getting to experience that, like, I'm glad she did at least one time, like, we were able to go down there and meet Grandma and stuff. It, it shocked her how Grandma would talk like, like, these ghosts are, like, real, like, like, straight up real. She wasn't saying ghosts. She was saying Poncho would come and tap her leg, and she would just be like, go on, like, get away. And Rose was like, who's Poncho? And I'm like, you know, that's our, that's our grandpa who died, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years ago or whatever just that idea of her talking like that her saying that posse comes in the middle of the night and like you know we'll eat and then leave and of course posse died you know very young um and then juan sits at the at the table and makes coffee and rose and i actually hearing like chairs scooting out and shit was like really weird because it's almost like and this is getting into paranormal territory, but it's almost like the the veils the veils in that area were like kind of thinner, like in a way. I know that sounds crazy, but it's like it is like because Rose and I were just hearing tables and chairs scooting out and shit, and it's like what the fuck? Like where are we? Like because you know Jesse isn't up, Grandma's not up, so who the fuck's out there? But yeah, it's really weird, like growing up like that. Well, yeah, and then you know I think as we were older, I would talk to her on the phone, and and they would mention you know, her diagnosis with dementia or talk about it. And I would talk to her afterwards. And, you know, I think there was a lot of her that was already sort of in between those in that sort of spiritual place. So it was really hard to differentiate what was normal things that she would say than what was not normal, because I think 
that was already all, always part of her. And I think maybe she just embraced it more as the older she got. Yeah, they have like, they certainly, and this is like probably a Southern thing too, but they certainly have a closeness to that side of things that, you know, the Northern people are, you know, like uh, a lot of the whiter folks, I should say, or like, you know, I don't know. You can say us white <laughs> yeah, people. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to phrase that, but yeah, a lot of that, you know, just don't, doesn't think about that. Different cultural practices, which kind of fits the theme of the movie. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of why I wanted to get into that. So this film is one of the most controversial films of all time. 1980s Cannibal Holocaust, directed by Rogero Diodato, uh, who also directed Body Count, the 1986 slasher, which I think is really underrated. First half shot in 35 millimeter and the second the second half was shot on 16 millimeter to give it more of a found footage look. This would, this is like a, uh, as Joe Bob put it on his special, it's ca- kind of like a combination of four different subgenres of horror. Cannibal horror kind of started with uh, Umberto Lindsay's Sacrifice in the early 70s, and then other popular entries into this uh, kind of dead subgenre, although Eli Roth's Green Inferno came out, I think in 2014 or 2013. I was not a fan. Uh, other popular entries into this Includes Sergio Martino's Mountain of the Cannibal God, Rogero Diodato's Jungle Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox, and Eaten Alive, not to be confused with uh, Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive. Um, so as you can see, it was a pretty big movement for a short time. Kate, do you think it should come back anytime soon? <laughs> no. She's like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, the second style subgenre is the Mondo. Mondo was like kind of like a travel film in the 60s and 70s that were kind of like more brutal examples of Italian adventure. During this time, they would make uh, Italian westerns, like the spaghetti westerns, and then they would get more into the comedic route. This was kind of the other way of them going lighthearted and then to extremely dark. Uh, The third style is the snuff film. So a lot of, uh, like a lot of theories and stuff when this came out was that this was actually part snuff film, like real snuff film. The most popular of this was 1976 film Snuff, but it's kind of like a double fake out because it's not really a snuff, but you know it's called snuff and it's meant to be shot that way. One of the earliest examples, like I mentioned uh, earlier, of the found footage horror. Blair Witch did not start this. The Poughkeepsie tapes did not start it. I would argue that Cannibal Holocaust actually started this like uh, kind of you know way of filming stuff. The film caused some scandal certainly in Italy at the time of its release. It premiered in Milan, uh, Italy, in February seventh, nineteen eighty. And made around $2 million, so it was a bona fide hit upon its release. Just 10 days after the film was seized by the courts and the director, Rogero Di Idato, was arrested and charged with obscenity. He was later charged with murder and faced life in prison on the belief that several of the actors were actually murdered for the camera. Di Idato contacted Lucia Barbreska and told him to contact the other actors. So what they did was once they filmed it, it was kind of like a Blair Witch style campaign where like he told the actors to basically go away for a year after they filmed the movie to like give it some like uh, some like real kind of sensibilities and like kind of uh, people start believing that it was actually real. But they arrested his ass for it <laughs> and he was like, oh, fuck, find those actors and bring them back. So, yeah, he had to um, prove like one of the big scenes in the movie the most iconic scenes in horror really was the um, lady with the spike through her mouth. Like it goes in through her backside and up through her mouth. And uh, he actually had to detail how that was done and stuff. And like the lady had to be there to prove that she was actually alive. The animal slaughterings in this film were unfortunately real, ultimately resulting in the movies being banned uh, after the film snuff rumors were proved false. The killed animals were a coat Mundy incorrectly referred to as a muskrat in the film. A turtle, a snake, a tarantula, and a monkey, and a pig. Some of those scenes were just, like, really, really hard to watch. And, like, uh, Diodato, of course, was uh, put under a lot of pressure and a lot of uh, scrutiny because of those films, or that those moments in the film. And he has since, like, uh, explained it as, like, they were killing to feed the film crew and stuff. But that a lot of that's bullshit. Like, I, he was just being, you know, exploitive. And their making of the film. Yeah, that muskrat wasn't feeding a whole for sure. staff of people. Are you going to give a synopsis for our people who Ooh. don't know what's going on? <laughs> <She's> <laughs> who like, wisely didn't watch the film but Ooh. want to listen to us? <laughs> yeah, let me get let me get a 
quick synopsis. That's a good point. So this is the basic synopsis. During a rescue mission into the Amazon rainforest, a professor stumbles across lost film shot by a missing documentary crew. So that's kind of like your basic synopsis. As I mentioned earlier, that one of the iconic images for this film, and this is a, I'm almost done here. One of the iconic images for the film shows a cannibal gore girl impaled on the cannibal gore, mm-hmm. <laughs> impaled on a stick. Upon being summoned to the court to to prove that basically she wasn't killed, uh, Diodato explained that the girl simply sat on a bicycle seat attached to the pole's base while holding a small pointed balsa wood piece in her mouth. Uh, fake blood was then added, but... Man, that film looks fucking real, dude. Like, a lot of these mm-hmm. killings in this movie look super, super real. Though uncaring towards nature of, the, of his film during shooting, Rigur Diodato now regrets everything he did, mostly the actual animal killings. He said once that he wishes he'd never made the film. He says the death of the animals, although unbearable, especially in a present-day urban mindset, always happen in order to feed the film's characters or the crew, both in the story and in reality. So as I touched on earlier, like, that's one of his... Um, the way that he kind of deals with the fact that he actually fucking killed animals to make this movie. Uh, the tribe names in the film, the Yano Mamo and the Shanamarti, are actual native tribes in South America. However, neither tribe is accurately portrayed in the film. So that's another criticism of this film is that it's, you know, it's racist. And a lot of this, like the uh, portrayal of a lot of these tribes, like Diodato and a lot of the Italian producers viewed cannibals and uh other or not cannibals but tribes in the same way of like all oh, they're all savages and shit but not the care wasn't done obviously like this was an exploitation movie there he's like they're all cannibals you know <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lot of the trivia from this film i i can like drop a few more like you know throughout talking about it i'm sure we'll talk about it like at length and a lot of the scenes that katie loved but mm. uh <laughs> bub <laughs> let's go ahead and get your first uh, initial reaction to this movie uh, I think that was it. I uh, <laughs> was conflicted because as a horror movie fan, uh, it's not a, a subgenre that I tend to go to with, you know, I, I'm not a fan of exploitation Mondo films. I think that's where me and you differ on paths, which is cool because you get to introduce me to these type of films. Initially, when I watched it, uh, it took me a couple times to get through it because I was writing a lot of notes and then I got into, you know, the scenes that are a little heavier in the middle with the turtle. And I was like, okay, I need to break from this and then I need to go do something else. So yeah, it was a little heavy for me. Um, I would say initially I disliked the movie. It's Mm. not like I would watch again ever. I think what I enjoy about the film is more about the controversy, the themes and looking at it in a different, like looking at it as like an art perspective through the lens of that time and a lot of the heavier themes that I think the director is trying to propose in the finished film. But just speaking on the film itself, I would say I dislike the movie. Mm-hmm. Just as the movie itself, I just disliked it. Um, one thing I failed to mention is that the score was done by Riz or to Lanny, which I actually thought was, uh, as the film opened, you're, you're given this almost romantic music and, uh, over this skyline of the Amazon and stuff. And I felt like that that was like a, a really, um, really bizarre, but a really like fitting choice to begin the film like that. Like, I really, really love that music. Katie, let's go ahead and get your initial thoughts of the movie. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'll never forgive you for making me watch this. <laughs> She's like, you're gonna, you're gonna go to jail, bud. <laughs> I think I'm with Donnie here. This is certainly not something I'll ever want to watch again. And I can't say I'm glad that I watched it. Not to put anybody off who is listening to the podcast now and hasn't watched it yet and is just here for the combo. If you are a really hardcore person. And even, um, I watched this on Shudder. Shudder has like, they call it a, I wrote it down, a polite word of warning. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is not polite uh, in any sense of the word. To warn people of like, just how extreme some of these scenes are and how realistic they are. So if you are kind of a hardcore person and you want to add this to your repertoire, like by all means, go ahead and do it. But 
if you're sensitive in any way, and I don't think of myself as sensitive, but if you are in any way, this is going to have an effect on you that you do not like. It was shocking. It was disgusting, a lot of the scenes to watch. And as a woman, there's quite a few rape scenes in this movie. Mm. I'm just warning you now. Travis mentioned they kill animals. That's bad enough. But the rape scenes are like wildly realistic, um, in my opinion. Uh, And it's, it's, yeah. It definitely had me shaken after watching it. And I had to close, I had to cover my eyes multiple times, which I do not do that at movies. Yeah, this one got me pretty bad. And I watched it with Brian and I was my husband who's been on the show. And um, he came in like halfway through and I was like, count yourself lucky that, you know, (laughs) anyway, I I could go on and on about how this, I did not like this movie whatsoever, but like Donnie, I do appreciate the themes they hit you over the head with the themes and i'm sure we'll talk about it um here soon but this movie hits you on the head you cannot walk away not understanding what the theme the central theme of the movie is but i do appreciate that this has its place in film history and i'm sure if it hadn't happened in the 80s then it would have happened at some point like i don't know i feel like there's always going to be somebody who's like i have to i have to go farther than the person who's gone the farthest has gone and that's the sense I got from this movie. Mm-hmm. And what and one thing, like I mentioned, uh, Eli Roth's Green Inferno earlier. Green Inferno by Eli Roth was he he named it that because it was the name of the documentary that the film was actually shooting in this movie. But one of the things that I will say about his is that I think he made a deliberate choice to make it more comedic, like in his version. Have you ever seen that, Bub? Like, yeah, uh, Gabe and I watched it uh, just because I thought the premise was interesting, having the students going there and it maybe put a different perspective. Um, yeah, I didn't enjoy it either. And I just don't care for that subgenre, but I appreciate this movie more than that one. Yeah, for sure. And like, yeah, it, the comedic one in that one kind of takes you out of the movie, like how they all get baked and then get really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, and I'll be honest, dude, a lot of... um like when I hear about like judges going after movies and shit and like, Hey, lock that motherfucker up. I could see that happening with this movie, dude. Cause like watching, like we were talking about some of these scenes of violence in this movie do look really fucking like towards the end. And this is kind of getting into scenes and stuff. Like when they're cutting that guy's penis off, like that shit looks a hundred percent real. Like if you told me that was a hundred percent real, I'd be like, yeah, I do not doubt. I do not doubt that. Like the way they're cutting them up and stuff. And like, mm-hmm. Even like uh, like I know, this is a bit more trivia, but uh, during the film they show uh, images of a documentary that the crew made before that. That was actually real violence uh, shown on uh, this in this movie. It was like during the it was like in a Nigerian tribe or something. Yeah, can I give a quick well, just kind of a, a little more in depth walkthrough of the for sure. of the plot um, for, for people because sure. we do have quite a few listeners, and I mentioned this a lot that don't actually watch the films and i suspect there's probably going to be a lot who don't listen who don't watch this film because of all the warnings that we've made about it and andrew ball like i would not watch the like he I would already watch... did but he put on facebook that that he watched it did he watch the animal version though like... oh i don't know we'll have to ask him but he's a previous guest andrew ball he yeah. watched inside <laughs> with us which is what you know today before i watched this movie probably the most you know heinous movie i've watched um in terms of the gore but um just so for our listeners and yeah. Just to before we get into details, so they kind of get us an idea of what what goes on in this movie. So it starts out, and you find out that this small crew of documentarians have gone out into the, deep into the Amazon to film these quote unquote cannibal tribes that have never been filmed before, and they've gone out there. They never came back, and so an anthrop a, like a a famous or very smart anthropologist professor decides he's going to put together a rescue crew and go and if he can't rescue them at least rescue their footage which is what you find so he gets out there um to these tribes he finds out the crew is dead spoiler alert (laughs) uh and but he is able to get the footage from the tribe because they have we'll get into it anyway he gets the footage from the tribe comes back home and i guess it's the uh the production company that they work for yeah the documentarians yeah the nyu what was the panama broadcast company which wanted to air it like as a sensationalist piece i guess right and so they they got this footage and they didn't even watch it all their editors you find out like 
couldn't even cut um, some of it because it was so shocking in like for the I guess the board members or whoever was deciding uh, whether or not this was going to air to the public and the anthropologist professor guy is just like no you can't do this and so in kind of chunks you see the anthropologist in this in this board of you know producers watching the found footage and so you're along the ride with them and discovering who these documentarians really were and what their motives really were and the uh, practices that they used uh, really were. That's pretty much the movie. And you it just gets more and more heinous as it goes on. And I'll be honest, like now that we're talking about the plot, like I actually really dug that part like of it, of the uh, anthropologist saying like that we shouldn't show this and like all this other shit. But Bub, what did you think about the plot? Yeah, I agree. I think that the first half of the movie, I I actually enjoyed the first half of the movie more because yeah. it didn't feel like a horror movie to me. It felt like I was on sort of a, it felt like a real documentary sort of thing that was happening with the professor. Uh, I think I have him down as Monroe. He went, he was going there and he was meeting Chaco, the guide who has this like um, you know, very eccentric personality and kind of gives him the lowdown before the uh, the trip is going to happen to go see what happened. And then when they get there with the tribe, like all of that, I think I enjoyed um, as just uh, an interesting uh, piece to the movie, like him meeting the tribe and him sort of going along with their practices. And even before they meet, like kind of following them along the way. So I, I enjoyed that piece. And I, I think after I watched the movie and I kind of dug into a lot more of the movie, I did enjoy the piece that the director said that he made the movie based off of the Italian media coverage of the Red Brigades and the Red Brigades terrorism. And what those are, are staged news reports, basically prop political propaganda uh, in Italy from a far-left movement there, which far-left is different in a different country. And there it was more of like a far-left communist um, uh, takeover. And so after reading that, I was like, oh, this puts a lot more depth into the movie because, and then I kind of got into this weird place where I ended up like kind of referring back to, oddly enough, Oscar Wilde, come with me on my journey <laughs> Oscar Wilde is a poet and a playwright and he was very um, into this idea that art doesn't imitate life, life imitates art. And so the whole theme of this movie is this director is making a movie and the movie starts out with a professor going to get these tapes from people that were creating a documentary and said people that were creating documentary were staging these uh, heinous things to create this sensationalist piece to show to American audiences and to create more of this propaganda against these tribes during a time where there was this huge deforestation movement of not only Americans, but a lot of other nations trying to go for land, right? How I tied Oscar Wilde into this is I think the director sort of didn't, he was influenced by his own work because of his controversy. He became the students in his own film that he's recording. And so I thought that was a very meta approach to uh, the movie, which was already this found footage thing. So there's a lot of depth and layers there that I think are a lot more interesting uh, to me about the movie. I think, uh, just to reiterate, though, that the first half was the more interesting piece. And then I think the second half was where I was like, oh, okay, so this is where we're going to see the results and see all the violence. And that is where it kind of came less interesting because you didn't get to see, I mean, you, you got the payoff, but you didn't get to see more of those cultural interactions with, you know, Americans versus um, the tribes and like seeing that interaction. Yeah, long story short, you find out that the documentarians are sadistic sociopathic psychopathic personalities um and like donnie mentioned they are not just staging a lot of these like horrific scenes for instance they they stage a scene where 
they light these tribes people's huts on fire with them in it and they even kill a few of them i'm pretty sure they burn down these people's village and they film it as if the what's the word i'm looking for like opposing tribe the opposing or- tribe are like the yeah the, the you get it the opposing tribe has done it but they're they've really done it and on top of that they do so many other horrible things that i'm sure we'll get into shortly but i think donnie really hit the nail on the head for with sure. uh, th- this movie really is like two parts you see in the first half this professor is really like the moral center of the movie like he is the only person with, kind of with a hum- with humanity uh, mm-hmm. and a moral center and he is trying to bring the documentarians are dead there's they're not redeemable after you see what they've done there's there's nothing that anyone could do to redeem them but for instance like the board members of the uh, producing the, uh, the company that's producing the film their minds do change once they've seen all of the footage but they saw some pretty horrible stuff that they were just like ah, america's gonna love it <laughs> yeah um and you see that everyone has a little bit of this savagery in them and again that that gets into the themes too but yeah for sure and i have a quote here the more that you rape their senses the happier they are but i wrote down like a like kind of like bub touched on like diodato makes that point like uh and that's that is one of the themes in this movie as bub pointed out uh probably better than I would ever point out, by the way, that was good. (laughs) But, uh, he makes that point, but at the same time, like you said, he does fall into the, because he is making an exploitative film. It's like, uh, a lot of the, like the animal killings and stuff. It's like, yeah, we did just shoot a hog in the head, just to film it and, you know, to make money essentially like to make it more fucked up so that people would love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He becomes very irresponsible in the production and he becomes his moral, goes astray when he's making a film that he intends to point out how this propaganda can be staged for these news companies. And that piece is irresponsible. And so that's what I thought was hilarious about it because at the very end of the film, this is just a quote, which I thought was kind of what made me, this was the whole quote that made me think about the movie and want to go do a little bit more digging and thinking about it, like a reflection about it the very beginning of the movie when Monroe is at the TV station, they're talking about, I think it's actually the very first frame where you see the reporter reporting. He's talking about these brave Americans going to document the jungle and the children of the space age and these youngsters never heard from again. So he's, he's already painting a picture of these very innocent Americans, these very innocent white um, college students that are going to this very foreign place to, to go document these very cannibalistic tribes that are very prehistoric and Stone Age people practicing cannibalism. So he's already putting that in your head that, you know, this is what the angle is for the story. And then, like Kate mentioned, they're there recording. You see the tapes at the, the latter half of the movie, and they're recording, and you see them, you know, putting these people into this hut to burn. And then there's one moment where they find the lady the next day after they rape one of the tribeswomen. And the director, Alan, he's like smiling. And then one of the other guys is like, hey, we're recording. And then he like changes, he like about faces his emotion and he's like trying to be very serious about it. But my idea that I was trying to make was the very last quote is from Monroe and he says, I wonder who the real cannibals are. And that kind of stuck with me because I was like, oh, well, that completely gives me a little bit more of an ending, even though they, the students kind of, I mean, they did get what they deserved in the end sure. <laughs> to that degree, but they were the product of their own actions. But with him saying that, the, who are the cannibals, it, it poses that philosophical question, like it's time to reflect on what you just watched. And I thought that was important. Mm-hmm. Can I do a rundown of so Alan is the main sort of director mm-hmm. um, of the documentarian group, right? For sure. His name's Alan. He has um, his sort of assistant director Faye, who's also like his girlfriend. 
for sure. So Alan is played by Carl Gabriel York. Uh, Faye played by Francesca Chiardi. Sorry, I just didn't do this. No, that's all right. Um, and then they have two uh, cameramen with them, Jack and Mark, and then Felipe, their guide, who he dies pretty early on. He gets his mm-hmm. of a snake bite, and he's like, cut my leg off. They do, and he doesn't survive. And so they're on their own doing all this stuff. And I'm not entirely sure whether or not uh, Felipe's presence would have stopped them from doing any of the things they did but i'm gonna give a rundown quickly of the things that alan and his cronies did and it they do a pretty a pretty good job i think of sort of progressively showing you his sadism and like his depravity i guess and so i just wrote down a few things and i'm sure i missed a few of them because i was so feverishly writing notes and i watched this in one (laughs) fell fell swoop you know um so there's a scene where Faye is in they're deep in the jungle and a like very poisonous spider is on her and she's screaming she's like, there's true fear in her eyes and Alan's like no 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 get it get it on camera get it on camera and he is like smiling so in such a scary way watching her scream and and writhe in fear over the spider they get the spider off and it's all okay and um he also is smiling really um disgustingly and creepily when they're butchering the turtle which I had to close my eyes um so Alan also they I mentioned the scene where they burn burn the village down with them in it and if as if that wasn't bad enough and he he says you know while he's doing the documentary um I don't know if he meant to mend it to be heard or not but he basically said um we're gonna get rich uh, all these things like it was all about getting rich and famous and he also makes a point to say it's all about the strong overcoming the weak out here and they have guns these people are scared of them they think that they're you know they have some kind of magical powers you know you, they've never seen white western people before you know and um so after he, they burn down these people's village and they're just all traumatized just sitting there they have no shelter anymore. Who knows what else else they've destroyed? And Alan and Faye strip down in front of them on the ashes of what they've burned and have sex. Yeah, that part was really fucked up. That's the kind of depravity that these people have. They have absolutely, like, these are psychopaths. Like You see later on, Faye starts to question and try to fight back against Alan's savagery, but she's not successful. Um, but yeah, they, they find a woman, uh, Donnie mentioned this and they, uh, a tribeswoman from which I think it was the tree people. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and you already know from earlier on, um, in the anthropologist, uh, professors escapade into the jungle that these tribes, like if a woman does something sexually immoral in their culture, they horribly mutilate and kill them mm-hmm. horribly. Again, warning on that if you are going to try to watch this movie because they show it. And so you, they know, these documentarians know that that's what this tribe will do to this woman when they find out that she was raped by these white people. Mm-hmm. And that's why you find her on the stake later, right? I'm pretty sure that's what is, you're meant to believe happened. They didn't put her on the stake, right? Yeah, probably. And then uh, before that, they, they burn down that village. They actually shoot that dude in the leg so that he can lead them to the village, which is like another fucked up thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, man. Yeah. Um, and it just gets worse. It really just gets worse from there. Um, but, yeah, that you just get these little tastes early on of Alan. And you're just like, there's something not right about him. Yeah, for sure. And then you, you just see things that you can never unsee. For sure. And just to finish off this cast, like, I'm sorry, it's bugging me. Robert Kerman plays Monroe, as uh, Bub mentioned. I thought he was really, really good in this movie. Uh, Salvatore Basile plays Chaco. He's like the guide in the first half of the movie. And like a cokehead or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like blowing coke into that little, uh, it, which uh, Adam Cedar actually uses in The Tribesman. Like, The Tribesman is awesome. Like, if you want to read, like, something that's kind of like pokes fun at this, but at the same time, like, takes it on. As kind of like a genre, you know, like the racism and stuff like that. I thought that was really, really well done. But let's get into the, like, we, we've kind of touched on a lot of the themes, but ha- do you guys have stuff that, like, in your notes, um, anything else, like, about the themes? I'll let Donnie take this one. All I'll say is to repeat that this movie doesn't make the themes, they're not shrouded in some kind of metaphor. Like, it's right in your mm. face, and they 
And the professor has quite a few discussions with other people in the movie, whether it's the production team or um, just other people in his life or the other parents and things like that. And like he says so many times, like the people they went to film in the jungle are not the savages here. This this documentary crew was the sa- like they were the savages. They were the the cannibals eating up and spitting out these innocent people just trying to to live. And what we can kind of do is like give like our favorite scenes plus like uh, some of the favorite theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like um, like themes like anything we have left to say about the themes and stuff because I think we kind of like nailed the big one right on the head and like some of our favorite scenes. But Bub, let's go ahead and start with you. Yeah, I think I agree with Kate about the bashing the themes over the head because I think it's pretty heavy. I think it's pretty heavy handed the way it's given. Um, I think there's like a standout moment in the first half when, you know, he meets Chaco and Chaco gives him the lowdown on, on, I mean, the anthropologist is already smart, but he gives him the lowdown on how they're going to get to that tribe. And he tells him that the white man's spirits are evil. Like that's the, the theme is, you know, just know that you're going in there and you're the outsiders. Don't try to do something that is, you think is appropriate. Don't be so ethnocentric that you think that whatever you do is going to be uh, this incredible thing well received by the tribe. And so while they're there and they're, they're with the tribe and, you know, at one point, um, I think after all of these things happen where, you know, they get the tribe and they're sort of around them and they spend the night and he has dinner and the anthropology professor like eats the raw meat or whatever. It's kind of like this initiation. There's a point where Monroe and Chaco and Felipe, I think, save that tribe from the other opposing tribe. And so trying to build that trust, I think, was a really cool thing is why I enjoyed it. And I think there's a, there's a part of it where Monroe goes and he strips nude and he goes and bathes. And then some of the tribe's women come over from the Yanomamo tribe. And um, that's when he ultimately finds out the fate of the filmmakers because there's a, a bone shrine of them mm-hmm. and, and you see him basically just go ahead out of the blue and say you know I'm going to try to get those tapes and he plays a recording of them chanting or, or their ritual and that's what causes them to sort of barter for the tapes as the tribe thinks that that recording is sort of the professor capturing their essence. And so I thought that was a really cool idea as to how he was able to win them over to get that. And then, um, you know, seeing the latter half, I I don't really think there's anything in the latter half that I enjoyed per se. I, I think it was, you know, there was a moment where you're seeing, you know, people beheaded and I mean, I won't say any of the rape scenes are nice to look at because that was really uncomfortable. Um, but seeing somebody beheaded or like tortured in that way, like was awful. But at the same time, like there's this like primal thing inside where it's like these people came in and they were basically, you know, savages to these tribes people. They're getting something that the tribe is deeming worthy of them because of their actions. And in my mind, it's like, I have to put myself in that perspective in their shoes or they're not wearing shoes. So in that way, I have to put myself into that mind frame of if, you know, an outsider came in and did that to my people, then they would be, um, you know, dealt the hand that they were dealt. So in that regard, they deserved what they got in the end. Not, I don't agree with the t- degree that they got it. I do. <laughs> they were awful. So it wasn't, it wasn't bad seeing them die. And that's what I think I was not expecting from this movie is I was expecting to sort of sympathize with them. Like, oh no, they came on this tribe and maybe fell these people, but not at all. I felt bad for the tribes people. And I was with the anthropologist the whole time. And I, I think my favorite scene was when the anthropologist, though, he plays the recording. I think that was a really cool way to sort of connect the two together okay all right i wouldn't say i have a a favorite scene i didn't like any of the scenes um except the one donnie's mentioning um some of the early scenes in in the first half of the movie where the professor is on the quest to rescue whatever he can 
some of the scenes have a little uh, comic relief to them that was nice. Um, like Chaco and Miguel, his guides, if you will, are fucking crazy. Like they will, they'll do anything. Like, for instance, there's a scene where Miguel, to try to get the tribes people to allow them to sort of come in or some, however you want to put it, they have a, a hostage basically that they know that this tribe wants and they like Miguel strips down naked and he's standing in mud with this hostage with him and he they're shooting like arrows at him basically like little uh, poison darts I guess at him uh, and they're going right at his feet like he has no fear these guys are coked up and they will do anything and so that was like kind of funny uh, to watch uh, it kind of broke the tension a little bit and then I of course was I was with the professor the whole time too the only satisfaction I got at the end of this movie, and even that, like, just brings out a side of me I don't like in myself, is that I was just, like, rooting for these documentarians <laughs> to die in the most heinous way that they could. Because they, to, like, I couldn't help but think that they deserved it, right? Like, the way they were killed were, was very much an eye for an eye situation. The male castration. Yeah, I mean, scene. I kind of wrote down a little bit of the details that you see. So, like, one guy... It's, like, bit by bit. Yeah. <laughs> she wrote everything down. <laughs> I did. Um, so, one of the cameramen, for instance, gets his uh, penis cut off. He gets bludgeoned, beheaded, chopped to bits, cooked and eaten. Dude. Um, and I wasn't mad about that, because he was one of the guys who gang-raped a woman for no damn reason. And he went along with everything Alan did. In fact, got joy from it. Um, so, I didn't feel bad for him. Faye, you know, who had kind of a crisis of conscience conscience um later in the movie but it was too late for her because she went along with this to be fair to her a little bit she was trapped with these sadists these guys that like she did not feel safe with and she had no way to get away from them once she did just like realize that they were going to go way too far you also know that she knows their nature because she went out with them and did these other documentaries that they show you in the beginning too where they fake these things and it's horrible but anyway, she's raped and beaten, um, which is pretty similar to like the way all the women in this movie are. They're basically, they're raped in some way, horribly mutilated, beaten to death. They even There's even a scene, and I think they show it, and it has nothing to do with the documentarians really, other than the fact that they film it. But it is um, some kind of punishment ritual that they do to a pregnant woman um i'm assuming that woman did something bad maybe adultery or something to get pregnant um and they take her baby once she's uh birthed it they bury it kill it they bury it um in the mud and then they beat her to death so like that is really how all the women are dying and so it does it makes sense that Faye would die that way too um and then alan you don't and unfortunately you don't get to see alan's death you just see him knocked out in front of the camera because he's the like last man standing and that's where the footage ends right because, mm-hmm. of course, these native people are not going to be picking up a camera and <laughs> knowing what to do with it to film mm-hmm. his death. But, like, the one person you really want to see die and get his comeuppance, you don't get to see. See, if this happened, if this was a uh, newer movie, the native would have picked up the camera probably <laughs> and filmed the rest of it. <laughs> um, Just for our satisfaction, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so some of my favorite scenes will probably disturb some. I really, really think the... One of the early scenes when they come across the woman getting punished, like in him putting that like big mud ball like uh, up her. Yeah, so there's a woman. I'll give you the background, and then you can describe what you <laughs> yeah. like about this scene, you psycho. Dude, it is like, it's horrifying, though. Like so the... they're, they're observing this woman. I think it's the professor in them that are observing it, and the mm-hmm. professor wants to intervene and try to save this woman, and they're like, no, dude, you can't do this. You, like you have to let this it's like play a custom out. or whatever yeah it's their it's their culture you have to stomach it somehow um but there's a woman you find out she has committed adultery mm-hmm. and the her husband or we'll call it husband for the sake of not knowing what they call their partners is first he ties her up and she's of course not okay with this and he rapes her with a stake Mm-hmm. And then after he's done that, there's like a ball of mud that he puts some kind of sticky things in, sharp things. Yeah. And then he um, jams that in her lady parts. Um, sorry, this is getting really graphic. I should have done like a warning. 
well, if you're this deep, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but yeah. anyway, um, and after that, he basically beats her to death and sends her out to sea or something on a boat or something like that. And he, you see him crying. He's very, he is not happy that he's doing this. And then um, Chaco, I think, explains to the professor that if he doesn't, if he didn't do this to his partner who committed adultery, the tribe would have killed him and her too. And so, like, he probably was, you know, in his heart would have forgiven her eventually and would not have gone to these extremes. But the culture requires that he do it if he wants to survive. And so I think that's meant to make you think early on that these native people are these horrible savages with these horrible customs, which they are. I mean, if you ask me, they're not humane. I'm not living in that culture. Uh, Mm. And it's not for me to... uh, go into the jungle and tell them what to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's certainly not these people's. And I think that's where you see the professor finally realize, okay, I knew this was going to be a culture shock. Like, of course he's trained to, to understand that. Um, but it really shakes him. Like that's the first scene where you're like, Oh yeah, he, he wasn't ready for this. Yeah. That's like your first scene of other than the shooting up front. That's like your first scene of like the brutality in this movie. And it kind of takes you off guard. Cause he just like, Kate was saying he drags a woman off the boat and fucking does that to her. But I like other, like other than that, I really liked like some of the scenes throughout the film. Like I mentioned the score of the film, uh, that do, 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 do. Like, I really like the stark contrast between like the, some of the beautiful music and the horrifying images. Like one of the scenes that you guys brought up earlier was the burning of the, the huts and stuff. And I like the, I don't like it, but I think it is like beautiful in a way. The savagery of the Americans running around, like smiling, laughing, cackling, and the huts burning, and the villagers like scared out of their minds and shit. And then you have that like it's just like it's so fucked up. And then you have like the the beautiful music over the top of it that provides like takes it into really really fucked up territory. Like you know, it's like it's really like a stark. Uh, contrast there's several moments in the film of that that I really really love and I think are really fucking disturbing and that's why I love this movie Bub, <laughs> didn't I send you and Rob that video this last week it was like that Hindu uh, cannibal tribe or whatever it was like that CNN documentary and this dude's like sitting with this guy and he has he like puts a teeth necklace on him and the guy's like, I don't want to wear that. And the cannibal guy's just like, I'm going to take off your head or something. <laughs> and the guy's just like, I think I'm going to go now. <laughs> it's so fucking bizarre, though. When you put yourself in that situation, you have to be prepared to sort of put your set your norms and your baggage like out the door and be a participant. Because as a researcher, you don't want to affect the outcome or the narrative. And I think that's what's funny about them staging all of this with their documentary is they really had this agenda going in and doing this to these people. And that's, I think, the interesting aspect. And even at the end, when the broadcast company, those executives are sitting there watching it, and the thing that they're most upset about is that they can't even use that footage to play because of how that didn't fit their narrative. And I thought that was pretty funny. And I thought that was another score for uh, the tribes people, like, even though they didn't get to see that outcome, they got to know that they wouldn't be defamated in that way, I guess, or put in that light. For sure. Uh, so do we want to go around and give like our final verdict on this movie? Like, I know we've been recording for a while. I have a question before we do. Okay, okay, go ahead. So how did they get these? I'm assuming they're just like Amazonian people. So yeah, so they were. It was filmed in uh, like around the Amazon area. Like a lot of the university scenes were filmed at Columbia University. They got like local people uh, that like uh, like local people to dress up as the tribesmen and stuff. Like uh, around that area. How so did they, they convince them to do these scenes? Well, there was a, there was a complaint about um, the workers because the people that were in the hut that was burning, they weren't getting paid. And yeah. so there was an issue. What's that? They they aren't credited for the film or anything like that either. Yeah. So there, so there was slave labor essentially is what was happening with these people that were in a burning hut for an extended amount of time. Yeah. So I mean, that's another problematic piece to a long list of everything else. Well, and I remember like Joe Bob saying that uh, like the, the girls that run up to 
the character while he's like uh, naked in the river. Yeah, and they're like slapping at his ding dong. Yeah, I think they were like they got them from like a local like whorehouse or something like <laughs> like in that area. Yeah, I don't know if he was joking around or like serious, but I I mean I wouldn't doubt it, dude. Like we the last film we covered was Fulci, and it's like you know how the Italians roll. Like they don't give a fuck <laughs> about a lot of stuff that's decent. <laughs> But yeah, no, like to answer your question, yeah. So like these, I think Bub mentioned it earlier, um, and it was in my liner notes too, like the fast facts, but these tribes do actually exist, but the customs aren't nearly, like they're not the same at all. Like as, you know, the, the Italians basically just used their name and then made them cannibals and savages kind of thing just for the film. Yeah, it's just like so wild to me that these people, these local people would agree to act out some of these scenes because of mm-hmm. like, I mean, if you've watched it, it's it's so graphic and for the like to convince them that they should do this as they're also representing the some native people that could well could very well be them being represented in this movie as these savages it's like it's crazy to me because i don't know that you could create this today Mm -hmm. um because those people probably would be like no you're you're not doing this you're not making us look like this well i know eli roth like uh, he was interviewed when he was making Green Inferno and he actually went and like filmed with a tribe and he was saying that it was interesting because like he was letting them like uh, touch iPods and stuff and they were like fascinated by it. And then he was saying, you know how Eli is, he's kind of like a bro kind of thing. But he was saying that the the tribesmen actually thought it was like hilarious like that some of the plot of the film was like cannibalism and stuff. And like, you know, they were dealing with like all this like blood and shit and they were just, they were kind of like of the attitude, like you guys think this is funny or like, it, it, is this scary to you guys? Or like, you know, like they were having a lot of fun with it. I appreciate it, but I, I don't know if you've seen um, his other movie, Jungle something. It's another cannibal, jung, cannibal jungle. I actually haven't seen that, but uh, yeah. He, so he made that a couple years before. And, uh, like I was trying to, I was kind of explaining which, um, the, it would be last week's episode, but this week as we're recording this, but like with city of the living dead, like Heath and Katie couldn't get over like the Italians, how they like, (laughs) they roll with the plot and shit. And it's like, essentially like jungle Holocaust was his first foray into, uh, cannibal films. And then he basically used like a sim, a very similar plot for this movie and just did it again because it was like, it was so massive. And like Umberto Lindsay got pissed that he was getting this like notoriety for this movie. So Umberto Lindsay went and made like Cannibal Furox. And I believe cast, um, at least in Furox or one of the other ones, cast uh, the main actor in this one, like the journalist. He cast, or the anthropologist, he's in that too. (laughs) See, I, I, when I was looking at the IMDB, because I was like, well, there has to, I've seen Ruggiero Diodato. I can't say his name. I've seen his name and I'm like, what is he done? And so I was looking through it and I seen that and then I seen this and uh, I think it's the house, last house on the edge of the park or something. And I didn't like that one because it was like, like that last house on the left, which I'm actually not a fan of either. Yeah. Which you may like, cause it's got that exploitive kind of angle to it. Mm-hmm. But I see two movies of his that I really enjoy. And one of them is um, Body Count, which you mentioned oh, yeah. earlier. Uh, <laughs> because it's got this shaman mask slasher set sort of thing which I'm those are my forte um and then I don't know if you've seen this one but Phantom of Death with Donald Pleasance and that one's a really kooky slasher flick sort of yellow movie um but those are two things that I like so I'm like oh well at least I um I've seen some movies from him that I can appreciate but um I haven't seen Jungle Holocaust and I haven't seen um Cut and Run which I've heard is a good adventure jungle movie too cannibal movie which is his last one i believe i think that was the last in his like trilogy like of uh cannibal movies i think that was like 85 mm-hmm. but yeah like yeah body count is fucking chilling like that opening scene in body count where like uh isn't it like a, a woman screaming or something and then the guy runs over there and uh the killer's like laying down acting like a woman or something like that shit is like fucked up <laughs> Yeah, that movie's dope. I like, there's like a supernatural element to the shaman and it was very cheesy in 80s. And that's where I usually go to with my movies is I like to see like big hair, neons and like a body count. But I 
getting out of my norm. I was definitely horrified from this. So you did a good job on this one. Yeah, and I knew, like, uh, if you want to go ahead and give your final rating. I'm going to do mine out of 10 because I can do a little bit more leeway with it, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. I won't see it again, and it's not something I'll rewatch. But it was fun for me to dive in and, like, theorize and, like, come up with, like, these ideas about why it was important and how it's important to cinema. I, I don't think I dislike it because of it being so irresponsible as a production because there are some movies I like that are very problematic. And I think a, a director of mine that I enjoy that I actually absolutely hate is um, Victor Salva. I yeah. hate him, but I love some of his movies. Actually, I like uh, most of his movies. And so I think going with that idea, I can't say I dislike it because of the reasons that I that are apparent with the production. But as a as a movie subgenre, I'm not really into it. But I was definitely horrified by it. <laughs> oh, for sure, dude. Katie. So I normally do mine out of five. I'll say I'm gonna like I'm gonna give you two ratings. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so if I look at this film as a piece of film history, a piece of art that starts a conversation that's worthwhile then i say like uh, three out of five if i give it a rating for like how much i liked it it gets like a one out of five or like a zero out of five like i did not (laughs) enjoy Uh watching this and i like to be scared this isn't a scary movie it's not it's a disgusting movie Mm -hmm. um and it's uh it makes you cringe. It makes you, and if you're a woman who's ever been assaulted or raped, like, do not watch this. Yeah, for sure. Like, you, it will re-traumatize you, like, beyond. And it's just, yeah, it's a traumatizing movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, like Travis listed off all the animals that died. Like, I did the same in my notes. Every time an animal died, I wrote it down. And there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so unnecessary. It did not drive the plot forward to me. It didn't provide any kind of color, um, except for the turtle scene, which we, you see you see some of Alan's depravity in that scene because you see him smiling sadistically about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I don't think it was nece- it clearly was not necessary to actually kill a turtle. They could have just made a fake one, done some special effects, and sent us on our way, and we could sleep at night. Um, so anyway. That's I, that's how I'm going to handle this one. I don't care if it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. You can average them if you want. Um, but that's how I'd rate it. And I think I've made my feelings known on this movie, of like whether or not you should see it and in what uh, context I think you should see it. But um, I will really leave it up to you. This is America. You've got freedom of agency. And agency, you can decide uh, if this is something you want to put in your brain. But... Um, yeah, like I said, I'll never, never give you Travis, but you know, <laughs> at least I can say that I've seen it. Uh, oh, sure. and then when all the horror buff people like get in a conversation, then I have, I actually know what they're talking about now. Cause this movie does get brought up quite a bit in horror circles and in the horror fan groups that I've joined <laughs> since doing the podcast, just to try to, to be a part of the world, you know, and to get sort of introduce my self, um, to what the kind of, what do horror people talk about oh and Heath um, is always talking about this movie like and I, yeah i think it changed Heath forever <laughs> <laughs> uh well i can see why um but yeah this this is this is one uh certainly you have to have a stomach for is this your lowest rated one kate so far i think right yeah i think this one and uh city of the living dead so torture katie week two is <laughs> to the two-week period of torture katie with italian cinema is over uh, she liked Suspiria, but she did not like uh, City of the Living Dead or this. So we're done with that, and uh, we got some Kate-friendly movies coming up. Oh, yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> what was that? I said City of the Living Dead is a masterpiece, though. But have you watched that <laughs> lately? Rewatch it, Donnie. <laughs> you will not think so. What made me laugh today <laughs> earlier is that I was listening to the pod, like, you know, just preview listening it. And uh, the images on IMDb, like if you just go to the images on IMDb, like that little button, and click on it, like three of the like ten images there, or four of the ten images that they show, are like all of eyes. Like it's just like eye looks. It's just like <laughs> suspicious Italian eyes in cinema. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be like a four to a four and a half out of five. I'll go four point two five. 
Uh, four and a quarter out of five for me. Uh, I really, really love this movie. Um, if you do want to watch this movie and you don't want to see the like the animal killings, on the DVD there is a and the Blu-ray from Grindhouse releasing there is a version that you can watch like the animal friendly version. And um, like going forward, I will probably watch that version. Like, cause I, I don't think I need to see that again. Like, um, I think I've seen it twice with the animal killings in it. And I think that's well enough because they are like harrowing and they are like pretty tough to watch. Um, so if you're, if Andrew Balt's listening, like if you, it, I think he said he did watch it, hopefully not with the animal killings in it. Um, but if that kind of stuff does bother you, you can watch it with the animal killings taken out. Uh, you can on shutter, so don't watch it on shutter. No one told me uh, that that was an option. <laughs> but see, Katie had to see it with the animal killings in. It was necessary mm-hmm. <laughs> as an artistic piece. Uh, I'm not sure it was, but okay. <laughs> uh, tra- Travis D- uh, Diodato. <laughs> the Travis um, cut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Travis cut. Travis Roth. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you guys uh, uh, joined me for this episode. As always, I got a book review or a book recommendation. I should say. Uh, sometimes it's related, sometimes it's not. There's not a lot of cannibal like fiction that I've read. Uh, I read The Tribesman by Adam Caesar. That's really good. Um, I know I drop his name like every episode, but he has a lot of good shit. Um, mm-hmm. But this is like kind of not related at all, but it's just something that I'm reading currently. Like some weeks it'll be right on brand, like uh, for the movie that we're watching. Some weeks it's just what I'm reading. But I'm reading Bone Saw by Patrick Lacey. And um, it is. Liam Carpenter spends most of his time above his aunt's garage watching obscure horror movies and drinking cheap beer, but this week's different. This week, things are getting weird. First, there's his favorite director, Clive Sherman, showing up in town unannounced. Then there's a string of murders that all seem like something out of Clive's popular Pigfoot movie monster franchise. Throw in Liam's mysterious new crush and the the cough syrup-addicted private investigator chasing her down, and you've got his life as of late. And don't even get him started on the She-Demons, the Blood Sacrifices, and uh, Bl- Bonesaw Studios is in town. And they're bringing you the bloodiest sequel featuring a pig-human hybrid killing machine you've ever seen. <laughs> I got so lost in that. <laughs> <laughs> I like the uh, the cough syrup addicted private eye that's going about town. <laughs> Just checking shit out. But yeah, Bub, thanks for joining me. Um, so I should mention... so. To uh, get the segment off the ground, so this is the first of uh, a monthly segment that we're going to be doing called Brothers Grimm on here. And uh, to get that off the ground, I wanted to horrify Bub first and kind of introduce him officially to uh, the Horrifying My Friends audience. But every month we're going to kind of be going like deep dives into horror and stuff. Like this will be a segment more like uh, maybe like t- taking a look uh, like recent movies, like uh, maybe like a Halloween franchise as a whole, like, you know, just stuff like that. Just anything we want to do like that particular month. But um, yeah, that, that'll be coming up pretty soon. Like uh, we got to get a scheduling down, but that'll be coming up pretty soon. Uh, I got a lot of shit planned for October, so maybe we'll launch that in October. But, I'm excited uh, to listen to you guys get in the weeds on some horror stuff. Yeah. And like, um, I really want to get into like one of the things I was mentioning with Bub is like, and we kind of did it at the beginning of the show, but getting more into our background and stuff like, uh, like the whole Mexican angle, like, and stuff like that with dad <laughs> and stuff like that. Cause a lot of that shit is like, it's legit. Like, you know, dad influenced us quite a bit and stuff, but I want to thank you for joining us, Bub. Seriously. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was it's always a blast, blast dude. It's always a blast to see you and Gabe. As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Horrifying My Friends and Twitter at Horrifying MF. Tell me that Green Inferno is better than Cannibal Holocaust, and I'll tell you you're wrong and then block you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, hit me a line. Like, uh, give me some movie suggestions that you want to see coming up on the pod. Give me some movie suggestions that you want to see me and Bub go through. And uh, take care, all. Bye. Later. Bye. Fine, my friends.